0: We don't all every day interact with the health system, hopefully not, but every one of us every day walks into the food system and makes a choice. And so you have to care about that because you interact with it and it's shaping your life day in and day out. And that's what makes it so interesting.
1: This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. Okay, hello everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. Um, Jess, please go ahead.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me Maurice. Uh, My name is Jess Fonzo and I am a Bloomberg Distinguished Professor of Food Ethics and Policy at the Johns Hopkins University. And um, I work mainly on food policy, food ethics issues, and I just finished a book called Can Fixing Dinner Fix the Planet that was published by Johns Hopkins University Press.
1: And I, I really have to tell the listeners to really check out that book. Yeah, it's really well written, easy to understand, but, uh, you know, full of important information. And also you get to know, uh, to understand a little bit about Jess herself. So, so uh and I've, I have a couple of questions there for, you know, to uh, to elaborate more about how you got into this work. You know, why, um, yeah, why did you start working on nutrition and how did that happen? So let us go a little bit, you know, a couple of years back. How did you ultimately get into the field where you are now? so. I have no
0: idea. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I did all my degrees in nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, And my, my undergraduate, my PhD was all in nutrition. And I do I do have to say, Maurice, I'm not really sure why I chose nutrition (laughs) as a field. But I mean, obviously, I liked it. And but it wasn't very popular when I was doing Mm -hmm. it. Food wasn't so as stylish and faddish as it is now. And so more, I focused more on laboratory sciences, uh, nutritional biochemistry and molecular nutrition. But over the years, I've moved more and more towards public health and the links between diets, nutrition, agriculture, the food we grow, um, and how that influences not only our health, but the planet. But that was years and years of of evolving mm-hmm. away from laboratory sciences to what I I work on now, which is much more on food policy and and uh, more sustainable diets, uh, field work. So yeah, it's really been an, a change over my life. So and totally unplanned, right? No mm-hmm. map, no roadmap. Just kind of let the road take me where it went
1: but but um from the shift from uh the laboratory to you know more the field let's say out mm. there that that was influenced by some experience you had or some experiences you had right
0: yeah absolutely so, so
1: take yeah. us through that
0: yeah i mean mainly people right mentors mm. throughout life that you admire that you've worked for um really shaped my thinking I, I also really wanted to leave bench science because it's hard work and I didn't want to work hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's long days. I mean, being a bench scientist, you know, we can think about those who are developing the COVID vaccine right now. Mm. I mean, how laborious that work is and Mm. how challenging it is. You know, there's a certain individual that's cut out to do that kind of research that requires incredible diligence and, deep, you know, attention to detail and, and patience. Um, but I was very influenced by you know, some people like Elaine Gallen. I worked with her at the Doris Duke Foundation, mm-hmm. who really opened my eyes to global health and public health. Um, Jeffrey Sachs, Sonia Sachs at the Earth Institute of Columbia that really introduced me to international development and working in Africa. So there was definitely people along the road that shaped the way I think about my discipline now.
1: I do have to make one quick remark about something that you said, you know, when you started explaining how you got into this journey is that you didn't to work. You didn't want to work that hard. So that's why you got into this field. So I, I know Jess, you know, from the work in nutrition and food and from, she was part of our board as well. If there is one person that works hard, I did, I know it's you. So I'm, <laughs> I get really worried here. Then, You know, um, yeah. If you ask me, why did you start studying anthropology and it's because you know my reason is because i understood that you don't have to learn things by heart you know you just have to think a little bit and then you get you know then, then you can get your degree so i I'm I always
0: the, wanted to be an anthropologist mm. Grace, like yeah. yourself you know i i wish hindsight if i were to go back mm-hmm. and do my studies again i probably would have gone into anthropology mm. or i would have like you know gone into a rock band or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I would have chosen nutrition as a field at that mm. point. I would have done, anthropology has always been this incredibly interesting space and so relevant for food, mm. right? And, and yeah. thinking about food security and how people value food in, in society and how central it is to some cultures, right? Mm-hmm. I think that would always have been a really interesting discipline to have gone into.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I think you're perfect where you are. Okay. Let let us go back to the book because, you know, why did you, why did you write a book?
0: I never had motivation to write a book. Mm -hmm. I sound like like a (laughs) slacker, right? I sound like I don't want to do anything, but I I didn't really have a big motivation to write a book because in in my field, it's more about peer-reviewed scientific publications. Mm -hmm. Um, And as compared to social sciences or history or even anthropology, there's more motivation to write books. Mm. Um, But the Bloomberg Distinguished Professor Office, which supports my professorship, and there's uh, about 50 of these Bloomberg Distinguished Professors, approached this cohort of professors and said, we wanna start this series and we want to have a, a series of books that lay out some of the biggest challenges that the world faces and the, pl- and the things and in the, in the places where you work mm-hmm. and provide that what those challenges are and the solutions to a general audience. And so that's how it started. And this is the first in this wavelength series of these uh, Bloomberg books Um And I was really pleased to be able to do it. And it's all about, you know, can we eat well for ourselves and for the planet? And, um, and it's meant to be a bit more for the lay person, Mm -hmm. bring in my my own um, experiences and the people that I've worked with. So um, yeah, that's how it started. And, And it's been a year and a half of, of, of writing that book and just kind of articulating my thoughts over the last 20 years of, of experience.
1: And did you, because it's a question, right? The title of the book is a question. Did you know the answer to the question before you started writing the book? And, and, because I haven't finished. So I don't know if you have the answer. So, so uh... the answer is
0: no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The answer is it depends, right? Mm -hmm. It depends on many things, but um, I think I I could say the answer is yes. Fixing dinner will fix the planet. And that's kind of metaphorical, but um, I think it is, it depends. It depends on how governments, Act. It depends on how we, as the eaters, act and mm-hmm. um, the decisions we make. So it's going to take, you know, a whole <clears throat> world community to really um, reverse the effects we're seeing of climate change and the fractured food, global food system that mm-hmm. we are currently experiencing. It's going to take a huge, huge, monumental shifting of the way we do things now. So it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not I'm not an optimist, but I'm not a pessimist. I, I call myself a realist. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a who's gonna wash the glass, not a glass half full, glass half empty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Never heard of, <laughs> heard of that. like it. Um, I, I just I I you know try to you know be a, an advocate for the sustainable development goals because mm-hmm. I you know not because they are perfect, but I I think they give you know this world a little bit of um you know goals to work with so yeah. so um you know it's always easy to criticize they're not they're perfect they're not perfect and they are not perfect but um but how you know so what 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 is it that people can do themselves in their own you know um my my neighbors uh you know, what can they do if they hear about, okay, you have 17 goals, that seems to be overwhelming. I'm interested in STD2 and uh, how to end hunger. So then I see a book, you know, can maybe fix dinner, (laughs) Mm -hmm. fix the planet, help to end hunger. So um, yeah, yeah. can you a little bit reflect on that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think, every individual has to realize that they're global citizens right we're Mm -hmm. living in this kind of shared world now and our our food system um is so interconnected so every decision you make does matter we think of ourselves as oh, i'm just one of 7.9 billion it doesn't matter but it Mm -hmm. does matter because that cumulatively collectively adds up those Mm -hmm. all those micro decisions that we make every day become macro decisions. Um, But as an individual, or as a family or a community, there's so many things you can do. I mean, one is changing the kind of foods you eat, you know, foods that are less environmentally intensive, maybe not eating meat at every meal, having more Mm -hmm. plant-based foods. Um, That doesn't mean you have to become a vegan, but you can definitely to survive and probably be a bit healthier if you were to eat more vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds and beans. Um, Another big issue is food waste. We waste a lot of food in our kitchens. We throw out a lot of food. Um, So being better about freezing food, leftovers if you don't finish, buying less food, not stocking your refrigerator so full, you can't even reach the back of it or see the back of your refrigerator. Um, You don't need to buy in bulk, like you're saving up for the next nuclear war and putting, (laughs) right? I don't think a nuclear war is gonna happen. You don't need to stock up and have provisions for five years out. supporting local farmers is also a great way to just get to know your farmers get to know the food that's grown in your local area um, support local farmers you know some of them are really struggling right now support local mm-hmm. food system workers who are picking and processing our foods and things like community gardens I mean this maurices we like faith-based organizations civil society organizations become really important in building community cohesion around food and uh, taking a food justice approach where communities can come together and, and grow their own food in urban areas, but also um, socialize around that whole community um, undertaking. So those are just some easy, pretty easy ways. And I think the hardest one is changing diets, but if you think about other cuisines, Indonesian cuisine, for example, or Indian cuisine or Thai cuisine, a lot of them are very plant-based, plant-based or plant-dominant. So, you know, the American diet is typically quite high in animal source foods and starchy staples, but um, try out some of these other foods from around the world that tend to be more plant-based are delicious and, and they're pretty healthy. So it's an easier way to ease into more vegetarian cuisines, I think.
2: Mm.
1: I have two questions around what you were, uh, trying to tell us is one is um because you mentioned about you know try to to support the local Mm -hmm. farmers etc but what what does will that do with smallholder farmers in honduras or who i think what i've seen around the world who are dependent on our global economy so 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 even even if you want to change that food system that will take time so what do you do in the meantime right so how
0: There's a lot of argument right now with COVID about should Mm -hmm. we move more towards local food systems, Mm -hmm. you know, shorter value chains or have these globalized value chains. I think we need both, right? You need Mm -hmm. to understand who's growing food locally, try to support that local food uh, hubs that uh, you get to know seasonalities, what kinds of foods are available in your area. But that doesn't mean ignoring the global food supply chain. And if you want blueberries mm-hmm. or blackberries in January in New York city, you're going to be supporting Honduras. You're going to be supporting Guatemala where they're growing those berries in these mm-hmm. warmer climates. Um, so this idea of going totally local um, is not uh, really uh, it's not great for dietary diversity because for many of us that live in colder climates, we would have very minimal diversity in the colder seasons, but we do need to support farmers that are growing unique niche foods that we want to eat Mm -hmm. at all times of the year. So to me, you need both the global and the local chains, Mm -hmm. and the local farm, getting to know your local farmers is just more about, it's not so much about, feeding yourself and ensuring you have enough food and you're going to get it all from local sources because that doesn't go very far for climate change. Mm. It's much more important to pick the kinds of foods you eat, not how how far they've traveled. But it's more about just understanding farmers what their constraints are, what they're able to grow in your local area and supporting them. Mm. Um, so get to know your farmer, get to know the food that they're able to grow. I think it's just important for for um, communities to understand that and mm. value those that are growing our food.
1: Okay, great. Um, and the other question that I have is: is I, you know, I understand that it's good for us to, you know, eat less uh, meat. Um, you know, to look more at vegetables. How is that for children?
0: So it really depends. So so it depends on where you are, right? And where you Mm -hmm. are in the world. And it depends on your nutritional status. It depends on the ecosystem of infectious diseases around Mm -hmm. you. So if you go to rural sub-Saharan Africa, where there's still a lot of infectious disease, a lot of malaria, a lot of diarrhea... Animal source foods are, are critically important for growth, for fulfilling nutrient needs, for, particularly in places where the dietary diversity is quite low. Mm. So for young children, animal source foods, they're packed, you know, super packed with lots of nutrients mm. in a small amount. And so they can be really important for growth and cognitive development and meeting uh, needs for building immunity and, and all kinds of things. The question is really around adults. Do adults need to eat so much meat?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, do we need to eat meat at every meal? And we're kind of obsessed in society with high protein, but we, almost everyone meets their protein needs. We overconsume consume protein. Mm-hmm. Um, many of us get our share of nutrients. We may have some deficiencies around vitamin D, some women with iron. But overall, adults um, consume more than they need of animal source foods to meet their nutritional needs. But those young children that are growing, particularly in places where dietary diversity is low, mm-hmm. infectious disease burdens high, you really need that bolus of animal source foods. And in many parts of, those, of the world, as you know, Maurice, they just mm-hmm. don't even get access to that. No, no. Some families don't get, mm-hmm. you know, they'll get a piece of goat meat once a month. You know so so that's definitely on the spectrum of of having too little and that's the the key mm-hmm. there's some populations that just have way too much and some populations that have way too little so mm-hmm. there's a real inequity in who gets access to what so how do we rebalance that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in some high income countries some high income individuals are going to need to make bigger shifts if they, want to participate as global citizens and allow a little bit of meat for other populations that may Mm. need it more than they do.
1: Great. Um, No, and yeah, I, I really think that's valuable and important information. And, you know, before we started the podcast, we talked a little bit about covid and, you know, what you would have hoped would have happened around COVID is that people would understand that we are all interconnected. And, um, you know, the COVID is not mentioned as a pandemic, uh, by yeah, by accident. It's is a result of we are all connected. So the only, um, it's spreading because we, you know, we are moving all the time, services, people, et cetera. And so... The only way we are going to uh solve this together is by really working together and unfortunately mm-hmm. you don't see that really happening um you know we think in the us you know it's done now when it is not the variant is coming up again but also because we have you know we've got our vaccinations um, but in other parts of the world and we talked mm-hmm. about it indonesia is now just surpassing india So, um, and you also know that it then ultimately will come back here or to Europe, because that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, Unless we really um, not act tribal, but track really as as global citizens and are a little bit better informed in how we are living, all of us. And um, I I think if you read your book, you know, the way you talk about, you know, in this case, uh, nutrition, our diet... Yeah, you you get a lot of insights in how things are related. And and that piece of information alone is really helpful in, as you said, making some small actions that we can all do uh, to make this world a little bit uh, better. So I I, I really would encourage folks to check out uh, your book.
0: I mean, it's Um, kind of more, like, the vaccines are a global public good, right? Mm-hmm, and everyone mm-hmm. should get access to them. Yeah. You could argue the same thing about food, yeah. water, and mm-hmm. shelter. You know, these are almost basic rights. That
2: yeah.
0: and and um, this idea of hoarding food or hoarding vaccines to ensure that you have enough plus plus plus
2: mm-hmm.
0: is is um is just wreaking inequ you know havoc and inequities and social injustices around the world around these different resources or public goods that we have so you know and I always think of COVID it's exactly that it's this Mm. it's a it's a we are all in this together kind of problem you need you need all hands on deck right everyone needs to take action um it's the same like with climate change Mm. if one country doesn't participate in COP particularly the largest greenhouse gas emitter per capita mm-hmm. being the United States, mm-hmm. until recently we've re-signed back on to the Paris Agreement, that is problematic. Mm-hmm. So every other country could try to address climate change, but if the United States or China decide that they're going to ignore it, that is incredibly problematic for the world. Mm-hmm. So it's very similar in that if we don't like COVID, if we don't, take action and, and, and like COVID variants will spread climate change. There's going to be a point where we as humans will not be able to reverse global warming. You know, the earth in an effort to cool itself off will further warm and it is completely out of our hands mm-hmm. and that window is closing. So it's very much like COVID in the sense of you need everyone working on it. And you're, you're, the clock is ticking, mm-hmm. right? The clock is ticking and it's ticking fast. So this laissez-faire, no action is, mm-hmm. is really no longer an option if we want to live on a viable planet. Not to completely depress us, but... <laughs> <laughs> Only a little
2: bit.
1: This, this podcast is a spin-off of my 100-mile walk, in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it started almost 10 years ago now. Yeah. Today's awareness about hunger, <laughs> poverty, and injustice. If, if you would be asked, you know, uh, to walk 100 miles in a week, uh, what is the cause that you would walk for? Probably for the, reason, the same you know? as what
0: you've been doing, Maurice, probably hmm. for hunger. I mean, this year alone we've seen hunger numbers go from 691 to 800 million in one year mm-hmm. because of mainly covid yeah, and the yeah. economic downturn. I mean it's such a noble cause to fight for and it's it's it, it's just insane that we still have hungry people on the planet when we have more than enough food to go around. Mm-hmm. Um and then, and it's and it's getting worse again. You know, we've had mm-hmm. a decade or two of progress where hunger was coming down and now it's it's going in the opposite direction in the last four or five years Mm -hmm. because of covid climate change conflict civil wars and that's devastating Mm -hmm. right it's not this is not a modern problem this is an ancient problem that Mm -hmm. we have in the most modern society it's crazy so i think your your cause is noble i'd maybe do climate you know that's another but they mm-hmm. go hand in hand right hunger and yeah. climate are so intricately connected so yeah but you're doing you're doing the good deed I don't know if I could walk 100 miles in one week
1: no that no you be. you can I know you're, you're a hiker <laughs> so I know that you can so yeah
0: I don't know it's tough.
1: <laughs> hey um yeah wh- why do you get out of bed in the morning you know what drives you in life
0: Coffee? No. <laughs> um, this, I mean, this stuff. It's so mm. I feel so privileged to be able to work in this in this area of food mm. and climate and agriculture. I mean, is it get does it get depressing when we talk about these statistics or these trends that we see? Absolutely. But it's also um it's the one of the biggest challenges we face now. And there's I think what gets me out of bed is that more and more people are paying attention so you're not you know shouting into a vacuum Mm. um people are especially climate of course thanks to young people they they've they've put it on the map um they've uh they've shouted out to the world to pay attention and i think food is having its moment too with the un food system summit Mm -hmm. at the end of this year so that that helps, that motivates you to get out of bed when people are listening mm-hmm. and, and starting to care and think about these issues because it affects every one of us, right? We don't all every day interact with the health system, hopefully not, but every one of us every day walks into the food system and makes a choice. And so you have to care about that because you interact with it And it's shaping your life day in and day out. And that's what makes it so interesting. Um, But I definitely, uh, I get up early. It helps me get out of bed, but man, I'm exhausted at the end of the night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it might get worse when you get older. (laughs) Um, I, I would like to talk a little bit about the young, younger generation as mm-hmm. well as the drive, because you know when I walk with people physically and and also when we talk about life, we often talk about um, religion and spirituality because that's mm-hmm. important for, well I think still seventy percent of the world population yeah. and it might be a change, but but um, yeah when we talk about the younger generation, some people say well the younger generation is different. Uh, They are not religious anymore. Uh, They might still be spiritual. Uh, But what do you see? Because, you know, you're a professor, you work with students. What do you see, you know, happening among younger uh, generation and religion and spirituality?
0: That's a good question. I mean, I think, I think um, spirituality and, and um, I think that very much resonates with young people. I think religion is, can be a, a looser term for for some people, but there's other you know young communities in in Asia and Africa that mm-hmm. are very religious, right? And it guides their way of thinking. Um, um, it guides their way of of, of being um, good citizens and mm. and helping communities. And so I think. I think there's a lot of, I I feel that younger people are very um, in touch with themselves. They're in touch with society. Hmm. They think deeper and bigger about global issues. Um, I think they question the structures of what they've grown up in. I think they question religion. They question spirituality. And that's all really important. I think they're very um, uh, sensitive to issues like social justice and equity and racism. And I think that plays in well with some of the teachings of many religions in the world. So um, I think it's there for those who maybe are not in a structured, organized religion. I think these younger people are often much more aware and practicing what we hope some of the best Christians or Muslims or, mm-hmm. or, or Jews are, are teaching. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're listening to who's marginalized, who's vulnerable, mm-hmm. who's disadvantaged, why are they, how do we fix that? Um, they're much more aware of that than I was growing up. Mm. So to me, um that very much fits into this idea of what we think of as a, a you know a Christian and what what they're meant to to be. Mm. Um, so to me, it's it's a it's a real turning, especially this past two years, right? With Black Lives Matter,
2: mm-hmm.
0: hashtag Me Too. The younger generation is really impacted by these social movements that are all for the better of society, in in, in my view.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't know how you feel,
0: Maurice. No,
1: and we talked, I mean, when I listened to you, there were a lot of worries, you know, a lot of things that that we need to address, right? You mentioned climate change and hunger, etc. But if you, if you talk about the younger generation, that's where the hope is then. I don't yeah. want to be at the leading question, but... That's that's why you. I, that's what I heard actually when you were talking.
0: Yeah, I mean they're yeah. much more optimistic. I mean yeah. they hear these statistics and they're they're con- deeply concerned about climate change mm-hmm. and social injustices, but they're very solution oriented. They want to fix it. They want to be the generation that makes the big changes. And um, I think they're kind of tired of hearing from all of us, some of us old folk um, mm. and and our lack of action. You know, mm. I think they they're tired of hearing that. And so they're going to be the ones who, who shape the world in a very different way than how it is now, I think.
1: Hmm. I I, ho- I also heard you mention black lives matter hmm. and I would like to talk a little bit about that you know um cws my organization celebrates 75 years mm. of existence um, and we use it also as a time to reflect you know how did mm. we do what should we do in the future and a big discussion point is of course how did we do you know around racial justice did mm. we speak out when they had to speak out did we take right actions if i ask you you know to give a, a grade to the NGO sector as a whole, and I know it's difficult to, to uh, generalize, but you know, I'm asking you to do it anyway. Um, yeah, how did the NGO sector do around racial justice? And and uh,
0: well, I think they're kind of the saving grace a bit, uh, mm. and I'm not just saying that because I'm speaking to you. You know, you 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 work at a you know, civil society, mm. uh, faith-based organization. I think they've been the saving grace for in international development. Hmm. Um, they are often uh, championing and giving agency to the marginalized, the indigenous peoples, smallholder farmers, women—you um, know, people of different uh, ethnicity, different caste, tribe. And I think they lift the voices of those who've been marginalized because of the color of their skin, because mm-hmm. of their disability, because of their um, you know their social standing. So they've been incredibly important. places where I've worked in Africa and mm-hmm. South and East Asia, the NGO communities are so much more in touch with the right to food, social justice, women's empowerment. Mm-hmm. Who has failed, and I can say this very firmly, is Mm -hmm. academia and research. Um, You know, Johns Hopkins has tried, for example, to really increase diversity. But we have failed in bringing a cohort of African-American faculty into Hopkins. And we sit in some of the highest populations of African-American dominated cities we academia has, has is truly an ivory tower and that tower has to be dismantled that has been one of the biggest failings so if we look at some of the public policy schools mm-hmm. we need to get much better at, with inclusion and diversity so to me the ngo cso faith-based organizations have been um, profoundly important in raising the voice of, of some of the most disadvantaged in society.
1: It, it's kind of interesting to hear you say because in, in um, you know, inside of cws we have a lot of conversations about this as well and we are very very critical about uh, our own actions actually so uh, and that's good um, right that's good yeah. to be
0: critical mm-hmm. yeah we all have to yeah, everyone has to self-reflect but um i think if you were doing a scorecard of governments u.n mm. NGOs academia <laughs> I don't think NGOs would score the worst <laughs> on social justice issues
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah it would be interesting to to do that and and again it's you know there are so many different NGOs it's you know yeah, become, yeah so it is it is um yeah I I, I do realize the, the difficulty around that particular question but for you for your insights around that hey um I always ask a question about music because um, because I like music. So for me, it's important. Um, so my question to you are for, about music is if I would ask you to mention a piece of music or a song that embodies, you know, for, at least for a part of what you are about, what song or piece of music would that be?
0: Oof. <sighs> I mean, my typical answer would be like, bob dylan rolling stone but if you start to listen to the lyrics that's probably not very appropriate <laughs> uh i don't know it's hard i mean i i, I leaned I'm, I'm trying to think like maurice i like rock and roll right mm-hmm. so i'm trying to think of like what band would i do i most resonate with but i think it's too hard for me to answer that
1: it, it can um, be um rolling stones i mean we have it to to remind the listeners you know i've made a a spotify song list of all the songs that are mentioned by my guests so it is from brach until you know heavy metal to r&b and reggae so you know you can pick any song you i don't want. know if there's a yeah. song
0: that embodies me but one of my favorite rolling mm-hmm. Stone songs that maybe for the for the the listeners is Moonlight Mile it's one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs mm. I just love the lyrics and I just I just love the whole sound of it it's very it's such a great underrated Rolling Stones song mm. um yeah and then I mean everyone used to sing to me when I was growing up Short People mm-hmm. Got Nobody by Randy Newman I don't know if you ever heard that song
1: yeah Short no I know the song. got yeah. mm-hmm.
0: nobody Short people got nobody to love. That was like my song, because as you know, Maurice, I'm very short. And that's kind of my song growing up, but it's a really sad song. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we, we uh, there must be an equivalent to this. In, in Dutch we say, um, a klein maar which means, you know, you, you it might be small, but, you know, you're, 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 um, your actions are huge, so
2: um, yeah.
1: Um, and and I, you know, I, I have my, my my mom is was also short, but she was definitely had a lot of grit and uh, um, yeah, you know. Yeah, so we I make see, up.
0: We yeah. make up for it in our in our energy, but we lack <laughs> physically. <Yeah. laughs>
1: um okay i before i go to my last question i would like to ask because you did mention the importance of a, a food summit that's going to take place mm-hmm. later this year yeah t- tell us a little bit about that that's right before the u.n general assembly is that correct or when i is think
0: that? it'll be after oh Maybe.
1: after i, I okay. don't
0: think they've settled on a date i think they're oh, trying to work okay. on a date so it's just it, it's been happening and there's been this whole year of mm-hmm. lead up and planning and Um, up to the summit, but they think it's going to be last week of September, first week of October. It'll be in New York, um, maybe hybrid, you know, half Mm -hmm. some invited member states would be invited, but then, um, and some special guests and then a lot of sessions where you can probably dial in. And that is meant to be a moment where the world focuses on, food systems, how we can uh, fix them, transform them into for better outcomes, for health outcomes, environment, mm-hmm. equity, livelihoods. And um, that'll be a moment for member states or countries to make commitments to improve their food system. So it's, it's, it's important, but it's not binding like the climate meetings, like the mm-hmm. COP meetings mm-hmm. that happen also this year at the yeah. end of the year. Um, but it's still an important time to, to, um, get countries to make strong financial policy commitments towards trying to improve food systems. Hmm. So there, that, this summit's been called by the secretary general of the United Nations. And so there's been a lot of planning. It's a controversial summit. Mm -hmm. A lot of the civil society organizations have decided to not participate because they felt that human rights were not central to the summit. So it's Mm -hmm. controversial Mm -hmm. um, from an inclusion perspective, but it's happening and there's been a lot of fuss and um, attention being drawn to food, which is important. Um, so we'll see how it goes. And I I encourage everyone to tune in. There's a pre-summit in Rome Mm -hmm. next week that you can call in and watch sessions that will be happening on different topics related to food. But look out for that that big event in in, uh late September, early October.
1: Okay. So if I ask you, you know, in one in one tweet to to mention, you know, what do you hope that the 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 outcome will be of that summit? What 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 would you tweet?
0: More accountability. Hmm. Two words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, a tweet, a tweet is many more words, right? <laughs>
0: I mean, really, like one,
1: one sentence, not one after word. The, yeah.
0: What I want to see is what happens after the summit. And mm-hmm. like, so everyone meets, great. You know, Kumbaya, yay, food systems need to be fixed. But how are we going to hold governments and businesses to account mm. to ensure that they make improvements on food systems? Because enough is enough. Food systems are failing people. So how do we improve them? So there needs to be some accountability. That's great that countries will all go to New York and eat great food and talk to each other, but what happens the day after? Mm-hmm. And how do we how do we ensure that they're accountable for promises that are made at this summit? Like ending hunger. Mm-hmm. Maurice why why are we still making this promise after 35 40 50 years hmm. and why is it getting worse and who's accountable you know I mean yeah. how many times do we have to keep saying let's end hunger every decade it's made and it's not getting better why no one's holding mm-hmm. anyone accountable
1: yeah no well uh, that is the hope of course because we identified those goals um you know of, of and hunger is one that that would help to keep each other accountable but as as you what you alluded to in the, in the beginning of a conversation if not all governments sign on to it and and translate those promises into action plans then you know very little happens so yes yeah. it goes back to accountability um a- absolutely. one last question for you is um the yeah, do you have any question, message, or invitation for the listeners?
0: Um, I think it's just the, 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 the message is just think about the foods that you eat every day, you know, think about where they're grown, and where they've come from, and think about, um, are they, you know, nourishing you, and because it, it matters, like, it matters a lot, not only for yourself, but for your community and for for our, our global planet. So be a conscious eater, be thinking about these things, because um, they can really shape the, the planet in, in different ways. So just become aware of, of where your food is coming from and how it's impacting you and, and your community.
1: Great. Thank you so much, uh, Janice. And and again, we make sure that, um, you know, we have links to where people can purchase your book. And uh, I I think you are on social media as well, or at least your institute is. So we make sure that that is available in the notes of the podcast. And um, so thank you so much for everything you do. Good luck with, uh, yeah, with all the work. And, um, well, we will... You know, you will follow you while the summit is going on Mm -hmm. as well. So so thanks a lot, uh, Jess.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Great. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk. Listen, please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on
2: Facebook or Instagram.